All right, good morning. Welcome to everybody that's here at our main campus. Welcome to you guys who are joining us online. So uh, one quick announcement before we get started. As you've seen on the way in, the Holly Hoffman event for women is going to be coming up on October the 9th. Uh, so a couple things to be aware of. So first of all, um, we've always said this is like we challenge people to say it's like a good opportunity for people to come together, a great opportunity for women to come together to not only worship, but to get to know other people, uh, to be able to share stories. But we always know that for, for some people, you know, whether it's challenging financially or, or just difficult to be able to get it done. So uh, Jennifer said this week that a donor came up and bought 50 tickets uh, to be able to give away to any college girl that wants to go to the event. So for any college girls who want to be able to go to the event, see Jennifer. There's 50 free tickets to be able to come to the event. Uh, so we're excited if you guys could find people, invite them, and come together. If you haven't had a chance to buy your ticket yet, they're going to be selling them out in the cafe for the next three weeks. We'd love for you guys to be able to get uh, involved in that. All right, so let's talk about this new series called The Church Defined. Why are we doing it? Why is it important? And what do we want to talk about today? So if you remember, we came off of our, new, our Revelation series, which took six, seven months. I don't remember how long it was, but we did it for quite a long time, right? And after that, if you would have said, like, for, if you get after the series, if you would have went before we started the series or even pre-COVID and you looked at Life Church, you would be like, it doesn't look anything the same, right? Like, I haven't seen these people. There's a lot more people. Things have changed a little bit, you know, and a lot of new people have started coming to Life. So... I said it's probably important for us to get back to the basics and say, okay, why, why did we plant? What are we doing? What's the mission? How can we help each other accomplish those things? So that's what this uh, series is about, is to define, again, back to what is the church for and what do we need to be doing? So we start with this, the basic uh, thing that we've talked about each week. If you are a Christian in this room, so that if you're a professing Christian in this room, very important for you to understand specifically that you've been given a mission by Jesus Christ. The mission, Matthew 28, that you're going to go out into all Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth, and you're going to reach people, people who don't yet know Jesus, right? You're going to teach them about who Jesus is. And as you teach them, they're going to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and then you're going to baptize them. And when you baptize them, you're going to send them back out to do the same thing you're doing, right? Like, that's the whole idea. That's your mission. Not only is that your mission that Jesus gave to each one of you in this room, he also says this, whenever your last day is, which nobody in this room knows when your last day is, but when you stand in front of Jesus Christ, you will be held accountable for your mission. How did you do? Did you go out into all Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth? Did you reach people who didn't yet know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Did you teach them on how to be a disciple, and did you send them back out? Right? You're going to be accountable for that. So with that, we have always said, like, what we want to do as a church is to say, we know that that's your mission, so how do we help you get it done instead of the other way around? Right? We don't want to be like, here's the mission of the church, and you need to volunteer for all the things that are the mission of the church. We want to say, like, what is your mission? How are you accomplishing it? And what can we do to help you get it done? So this series has been about this idea of how can we help you get that mission done and what's going on behind the scenes. Now, we're going to answer, I hope, to the best of our ability, this age-old question that I hear all the time from people. And they always say this, like, or they ask this question, or they make it as a statement, but I think it might be a question. If you are a Christian, 
you don't really have to go to church, right? I mean, maybe you've said it. No, nobody. Or maybe you've heard somebody say it like, well, my such and such friend, they're a Christian, they just don't go to church. Right? And, and normally, as Christian people, we're like, yeah, dude, you, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Right? Huh? Yeah, I mean, there's this, like, tension because you want to say it because in your mind, like, you, you know, you don't want to be like, oh, my gosh, you should be going to church. You don't know how this all is going to process. But here's what I want to talk about today. So if you are on mission, right, to reach people for Jesus Christ, teach them and send them back out, the bigger question is not whether you do or don't have to go to church to be a Christian. The question really is, if you're trying to be on mission, why aren't you going to church? But like the bigger question isn't this legalistic question of like God's up there and he's checking off the number of days that you've come to church and saying we well, didn't attend enough days. The question just is this. If you're out on mission reaching people, why wouldn't you go to church? Right? Or why wouldn't you be a part of a church? You know, and I think that's the dilemma. I think that's the thing that that we as Christian people have to work through because I think there's still a problem, right? And I think the problem is why you come to church. You see, I think a lot of people come to church because they want to feel the presence of God or they want to be refueled, right? So you come to church and I can feel the presence of God and it's really good and I feel refueled and I can go back out. And so if I want to feel the presence of God, I come to church, right? So the answer of like, do I come to church or don't come to church is like, do I need it or not? that anybody tracking like do I need that feeling and I've always said this like so October 1st is coming opening day of bow season for anybody that's on right and I'm just telling you sitting in a tree stand I can experience the presence of God just as much as I can sitting in this room anybody else right like in different places that you are like being out in nature being on the beach like I don't know what your thing is but there are people in this room that have a place that you could go and say, you know what, when I go here, I experience the presence of God. So this dilemma comes up, right? Well, I could be out in a tree stand and experience the presence of God. Why would I ever go to church then? If the reason for coming to church was to experience the presence of God. Right, do you see how that line of thinking tracks? Like, and do you see how that can get wrong, right? Because what we're gonna look at today is, is that, here's what you need to understand. You're right. You don't have to come to the church to experience the presence of God. Amen. That's why the, the, the veil was torn and the presence of God lives inside of each one of us every single day. You don't have to come to church to experience it. But here's the thing. Throughout all of the New Testament, throughout all of the New Testament, even though that is true, he encourages all of his people to gather together in what's called the ecclesia, the church. So Why? So why should you gather in this room? Why should you come to church? Why should you be a part of what's going on? If you can experience the presence of God in any place around this, 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 your life, right? And everything that you're doing. So that's what I'm going to try to answer for you today. Why do you come? Why should you come to church based upon what scripture says? And how do we help you get it done? Right? The whole reason for gathering in the ecclesia, and then as you gather, what's the purpose behind the gathering? Because it's way bigger than just coming to experience the presence of God. All right, so let's go to Hebrews 10. So in Hebrews 10, 
this is the first time or the time that they talk about this whole idea of the gathering of the ecclesia or the gathering together of people. And in it, the reason I picked this is because it talks about the old way of worship compared to the new way of worship and how we should experience that. All right, so this is Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So remember this. In Hebrews, they're writing to a Jewish culture. So here's what the Jewish culture knew. If you wanted to experience God, where did you go? To the tabernacle, right? Why'd you go to the tabernacle? Because it's where God was housed. Where was God housed? Behind the curtain. Remember that? Does everybody... If you don't know, this is the way it works. So you go to the tabernacle. In the tabernacle, it's a place where God is held, then he's held behind this veil or this curtain, and the only person that can approach God is the high priest, right? The high priest is the only one that can experience the presence of God. The high priest can go in on your behalf and experience the presence of God. And so that's what he's talking about, right? So he's saying in the old style worship, if you wanted to experience the presence of God, you had to go to a building, Right? You had to go into a building because that's where it was. And not only could you not experience it like personally, you had to experience it through somebody else by going to the high priest. So he says, you know what's so cool? Do you remember Jesus' death on the cross? As soon as he died on the cross, what was torn? The veil, which is so vitally important because when the veil was torn, you know what he says? No longer is God housed inside of a building, but he's now housed inside of you. He's now in you. And so the presence or the idea of the presence of God, it's something to celebrate, right? You're right. It's no longer is God inside the four walls of the church. The reason being is because he's in you. And everywhere that you go, the presence of God goes with you, right? And you're made more aware of it at other times when you're at different places. But as you go out, the presence of God is in you. And so it's made aware in this world through you because it lives inside you. So it's a new way of worship, right? And so for each one of us, this is confusing, right? Because he's like, oh my gosh, you no longer have to come to the tabernacle to experience God, right? You can experience God anywhere. So then we ask the question, so why come to the building, right? I mean, doesn't that naturally go through your mind? So why come to the building then? If you could experience the presence of God anywhere and the whole idea of experiencing the presence of God is, is, is the whole idea behind it all, we could do it anywhere we wanted to do it. So why come to church? Well, important because then in Hebrews, he addresses that. So in Hebrews, I think he knew that for every person, they're going to be like, all of a sudden, wow, the Spirit of God lives in, through, in me through the Holy Spirit, and the presence of God is everywhere I go. So there would be this natural tendency, like, why make all the effort to go to the building? Because back then, it was a lot of effort to get to the tabernacle. And people could say today, it's a lot of effort to get up on Sunday morning, but I mean, I kind of question that. Like, I don't think it's that hard for you to show up here on a Sunday morning. But it does take effort and it does take a choice because you could be today doing something else. True? Like you could be doing something else. So you did have to make an effort and you did make a choice. And so a lot of times if it's 
you know, experience the presence of God and I don't have to get dressed and go out or if I don't have to go anywhere, a lot of times people will just choose to not come, right? So he says in this, this is why you should come. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up, not giving up meeting together. Here's what he's saying. Here's a natural tendency of every single person. If you don't gather with other people, you're going to become selfish. And everything that you do is going to be around you getting what you want, right? And so you're going to turn yourself into the best version of what you want yourself to be. And that you have to gather with other people so that they can look at you and say, you know what, you suck and you need to be better. Right? I mean, you do, right? Like, you got to be able to get together with people that are going to be able to look at you and say, you know what? You're not where you need to be. Spur you on, right? Like, you're not where you need to be. And the only way that you're going to get to where you need to be is somebody's going to have to continue to remind you that it's not all about you. Because every day you wake up and you think it's about yourself. And so you, you focus on yourself. And so when we gather in groups like this, it's a reminder that it's not about you. Right, so part of the reason that you gather in an ecclesia or the reason you gather in a church setting is to be reminded, you know what? It's not all about you. There's a lot of people in this room, right? And there's a lot of people around you. And so we're to be reminded that we need to gather to, to take selfishness away. And here's the other part. We've got to be able to get to the, to the point where we'll spur one another on. Now, that can be done in lots of different ways, right? But if you come to church, because here's the other problem. If you get in this like religious routine to come to the church just to experience God, you know what I mean? Then that's the only reason you ever come. Not only are you not spurring somebody else on, you're not being spurred on yourself. Right? Like part of the idea is, is that I, I tell everybody, if you want to really pray around the idea of the ecclesia and what God wanted you to do when you showed up this morning, because you could get the presence of God in the parking lot. He wanted you to, to pray for a divine appointment today. A conversation that you could have. Somebody that could come up to you. Somebody that you could spur on. Somebody that you could go and talk to. Somebody that you could, you know, you know encourage in their walk. Right? That's the thing that when he's saying, when you gather together, that's what you should be looking for. But you know what happens inside of a church usually? As you go in, you got to find your seat. You know, I mean, the seat that you normally sit in or, you know, you got to find the comfy seats now if I was you, right? Like, you got to get to the comfy. But you, again, you get in, you get through, you sit in your seat, and then what do you do? You get up and you, you just walk out, right? Because you got to get somewhere after. You, gotta, you had to get here, and then you have to get somewhere afterwards. You never really think about the idea that the reason that you're supposed to gather together is spur each other on, right? So he tells us that we need to be able to do that, and he tells us and reminds us that, when we gather together, remember this, and this is something we've tried to do from the beginning. When somebody talks about the church, right, the church is never the four walls of a building. Okay, so anytime somebody talks about a church, the church is never the four walls of a building. We've tried to make that an emphasis from the beginning. So 18 years ago when we came and planted this church, one of the things that, one of the scripture that I had read was Matthew 16, 18. Here's what he says. In Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, will not overcome it. 
Now, a lot of t- people misinterpret that scripture being like, well, the first church came from Paul or, or from Peter, and Peter was the first pope, and everything from that, you know, goes from his lineage and goes down that road. That's not what Jesus was trying to say. You know what he was trying to say? Before the church was a building of four walls where I was housed, Peter, let me tell you. Paul, let me tell you. Right? Isaac, let me tell you. On this rock being people, I will build my church. And when the church is about people, the gates of hell can never prevail against the people of God. Church buildings will rise and fall. Anybody seen it? Big buildings, churches rise and fall. People build monuments out in the middle, right? And, and again, it's only for the church people. And pretty soon those buildings become the icon of everything that they do. And at the end of the day, those buildings go away and people don't know what to do. You know why I know that that's true? Look at what happened at COVID. When people didn't have a building where to go, they had no idea how to worship God. And you know why we know that that's true? Do you know that church attendance around, not here, but church attendance around the United States of America, down 50% after COVID? Because people had no idea what to do. If I didn't have a building to come to, if I didn't have a place to come to, I don't know how to worship God, right? Because people have attributed that God is somewhere inside of the four walls of this building, right? And we've said from the beginning, we're going to do everything possible to make sure that you never fall in love with the building, Right? One of the reasons is, is because, you know, what I came from before this is, is that churches were somewhat like country clubs, and you could only use the stuff of the church when you're a member, right? Like, and the reason was is because, you know, our hard giving has spent a lot of money on this stuff, and what if somebody comes in and breaks it? What if somebody comes in and trashes it? And what if somebody comes in and makes it messy? And then we got to clean up all of those things. And I'm like, dude, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You're really going to build this big church just so only people from your church can use it, and it's going to be like a special entrance, and that's the only way it's going to ever be. So I said, when we, when we came and planted Life Church, this place is going to be a community center, nothing sacred. That's why you have to pick these chairs up every week, right? You have to pick the chairs up and put away. Wouldn't it be a lot easier just to leave the chairs out, and this is kind of be your space, and we can make it more comfortable for you, and it would be so much better, and we can make the room just for you? Right? That's what people say. I mean, that's what people want. And we're like, dude, this isn't your room. This isn't the church's room. This is for the community. We just get to use it. Isn't that cool? Right? That's the whole idea. The whole building gets used that way. And we want to make sure of that because we never want you to fall in love with the building. We never want you to think that this is the only place that you can come and worship God. We don't want you to fall in love with this is the only place that you can come and experience the presence of God. Like all week long, people are in and out of this building. And when the people of God are with people in this community, the presence of God is present, whether it's a church or not a church or a building, not a building. Does that make sense? Right? So we specifically want to make sure that we understand, again, our part. What's our part? And knowing that we have to gather, but we have to also stay on mission. Okay? So how do we keep you on mission? So here's the first thing that I want you to know. We are very specific about every single thing that we do at Life Church to help you carry out the mission, right? And I'm going to help you see that over the next couple of weeks. And we're going to start with the front door, right? So a lot of people are like, you know, um, greeters and you got so many greeters and isn't over the top. Like how many different people can you have say hello, right? And I'm always the guy of like, dude, why do we buy so many stupid donuts? Who needs a donut for crying out loud, Right? 
Yeah, Jeff, was, we had one other guy in the first service, right? Like, dude, why do we have all of these things? But again, very specific. There's a reason why, right? And here's the reason. I want to give you a scripture that gives us the reason why we do these things. Acts 15, 4. So remember in the beginning, um, the church in Jerusalem was expanding because you know, Jesus had died, ascended to heaven, and then the Jerusalem church was exploding, right? Thousands upon thousands of people were getting saved. And so all of a sudden there was this like, holy crap, we need to go see what's going on in Jerusalem. What's going on in Jerusalem? So people who didn't yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior were coming to Jerusalem, right? So the Jerusalem church had a, had a thought like, what are we going to do with all of these people, right? What do you do when these people from all of these other communities come from? Same concept of what we're doing as a church, right? The church is open so that all of the people of this community can come, not just the church people, right? Like the idea is every single week, just so you remember this, every single week we are planning for guests, not for you. That, I don't know if that sounded right. Like, no, I'm really being like, we love you and we are planning, but we want you to know we have an expectation that guests are coming. Is that better? Right, like there's this expectation that you're bringing your, your guests over. So we're getting prepared because again, if it was the same people, think about this for a second. If the same people came every week and we knew the same people every week, do you really need donuts and do you really need a greeter at the front door because everybody knows each other? Right? Like if it's just this country club of people where everybody knows each other, you don't really need all of those things. So the concept is we're thinking like the Jerusalem church is like people want to hear about Jesus and, and they're coming to the church. Like they're coming with you. Right? And so we're saying like we want to be, have an expectation. And so how did they handle it? Said when, the, when they came to Jerusalem, they, welcomed, they were welcomed by the church. And the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. So two things that are really important. So the people from the outside were welcomed. Okay? Now, I want you to hear this for just a second. This is a surprising thing to me, but it's really true. You know how many unchurched people don't feel welcomed in a church? Right. You know how many people don't feel like they fit in? So the first thing Life Church is always thinking about in everything that we do, we want you to make sure, and we want to make sure that the people who don't know Jesus feel welcome from the time that they walk in that door, right? So that's important to us to make sure that we've designed things in a way that says when you're bringing your friends who don't know Jesus, they're going to feel welcomed, right? And you know what the other thing that the Jerusalem church did? They not only welcomed them, being the teachers and the apostles and the people of the church. You know what the other things that they did? They welcomed them in and they told their stories. Did you see that? So in there when he says, um, and the apostle nailers to whom they reported everything that God had been doing through them, right? Everything that had been going on with them, telling the stories of what's happening. So I always say this, like greeters, you might not know this, but I'm going to tell you this. You know how many people that have walked through this door who saw a smile on your face, right, and heard the story of God without you ever opening your mouth? You see what I'm saying? Like, they walked in the door, and you opened up the door, and you greeted them with, like, you know what? There is hope in Jesus. Like, look in my face. You can see it. Like, you don't have to open, you don't have to open your mouth sometimes to tell the stories of what God's doing in your life, right? You just have to be able to, 
open up the door with a smile and, and greet those people. And I've heard this. I just know this. People who have been baptized at Life Church started with when I walked in that door, somebody opened the door and made me feel welcomed. It started with that. Before they ever met Jesus, before they ever knew salvation, they first knew you. Right? Like, I mean, that's a big deal. Like, they first knew you. They first felt welcome. They first were open now to a message that they hadn't been open to in the past. Right? Because of what you did at the front door or what you did out here. Same concept. You know what I'm saying? Like, when I look at the whole donut thing and, like, why do we spend all this money on donuts and hospitality? Or like, why do we do that? It's not just to give you donuts. You know why? Because we want you to come early and stay late and sit out there and tell your story. There'd be no reason for us to buy donuts and have coffee and have all that crap out there if you're just going to come in and woof it down and leave. Right? Like, that doesn't make any sense. You could bring your own donuts. Right? Like, you could go down that same road. You see what I'm saying, right? The idea of us creating that space is come early and stay late, sit around a table with somebody and say, this is, tell your story. This is what God's doing in my life. But you know how unfortunate it is that that really doesn't happen in the church, does it? It's like get in, get out. Try not to talk to too many people. You don't want to get stuck. Anybody? Right? Like I got to get out of here before I get stopped. The kids are nagging you. We're in the car. Where are you? Right? I mean, isn't this part of the experience? Like, but we're saying if there are guests in this room, because you know what? The other thing I'm going to challenge you is, as a church, you know, we say that we're not a country club and we try to make it not like a country club. But, you know, sometimes you act like it's a country club. And you only talk to the people that you know are members. I mean, someone unfortunate, isn't it? Because you know what's funny? Usually, this is usually the case, not always. Do you know when new people get here? Not usually a minute beforehand, but usually like 10 minutes beforehand. So they're somewhat scared of where they're going to find and how they're going to get here and where they're going to sit. And you know what happens? They usually come in here. And you know what part of the problem is? They sit here by themselves with nobody to talk to. And you know why? Because you're too busy talking to all the people that you already know that are already members. Maybe. Right? Like, you see what I'm saying, though, right? Like, if there's going to be guests there, nobody would do that. If you invite people to your home, nobody's going to let the guy sit in the corner and be like, nobody cares about that guy. How awkward is that? True? Like, how awkward is it if you walk in your living room and you got the guy sitting in the corner like, nobody's talking to that dude? Anybody know him? Right? Nobody does. So why do you do it in the church where the hope of eternity is on the line? Why? Right? Well, we know why. Because we're naturally selfish people who get so caught up in what we need and what we're doing and what we came for and what we need to go towards that we forget about other people. So it starts at the front door, right? It starts at the front door for us to be able to welcome people and to tell the stories. The other question is, why do we worship? Ever wonder that? Like, why have music? Because you know what's funny about people? Some people are big music people, and some people are like, I love the teaching, and it's like, I'm skip, I'm like, I'm going to come to the worship, the teaching, eh, I could do without. Or I don't really like the worship because I don't really sing, and so then they just come in for the teaching. Like, why in the world, if that's the case, why do we spend so much time worshiping or singing inside of a church, right? Why do we take those opportunities? So Hebrews 2, 5 through 12, I'm going to give you this picture of what we see inside of Scripture, why is it important, again, to worship or to have the moment where we play music, whatever you want to call that? 
Hebrews 2, 5 through 12. It is not to the angels that he has subject, uh, subjected the world to come about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified. What is it, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with the glory and honor and put everything under their feet. And putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at the present, we do not see anything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So he's starting this, this process in Hebrews. He's, he's getting you excited about what Jesus did for you. Like here's, here's God standing up in heaven, looked at mankind and said, you know what? I'm going to make the first move. Like think about this. Mankind walking away from him in a sinful world. And he said, you know what? I'm going to send my son. And my son's going to come down and he's going to die for your sin and he's going to live on this world. Like Jesus, right? He's going to come out of heaven. A God going to come out of heaven. He's going to come on this earth. And he's talking about like this. We should be super excited that God decided to make the first move, right? Right? Like you should be super excited that Jesus Christ, that God looked at all of you people and said, I'm going to make the first move by sacrificing my son. So what do you do when you're super excited? Right? Like, what do you do when you're reminded that Jesus didn't have to save you, but he did? Like, what do you do with those emotions? Right? Well, he goes on and says in verse 10, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God from whom and through whom everything exists would make a pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made, uh, those who are, and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. So it's this idea that Jesus is talking about, you want a model of how it works, even though you're living a shameful life right now? Anybody? Going down those roads where every once in a while you're not making the decisions you need to make? And he looks at you and says, you know what? You're still a son of God, and I love you. And I'll, I'll profess that, Jesus would say, among all people, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed that you're a child of God and that you're a child of God, even though maybe you should be ashamed of your life. I'm not ashamed of you. Isn't that pretty cool? Right? So he's talking about this model of how Jesus would look at us and say, I'm not ashamed of you for the way that you're living your life and you're still a son and a daughter. Then he says to us, like, and then after that he says, and he says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters and in this assembly I will, is it still up there? What will we do? Sing, right? Now, here's the funny thing, and I know this, right? Some of you are singers and some of you aren't. Is this true? Some of us are the, right? Come on, you can admit it, right? Like some of you are just like, I ain't singing in church. But here's what's funny. I thought about this in first service. If you are the non-singer in church, but then a little ACDC breaks out. <laughs> How many of you are like, na, 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 na. is that too old? Or little Hank Williams Jr., <laughs> country boy will survive, and like, you're like, I'm in. Now, do you think that's true? 
Like people that are non-singers in church, if something clicks on that you want to sing, are you going to sing? See, you know, it's funny, right? Because inside of the church, all of a sudden we become, right? Like, what happens? Like, what happens to people? Because, again, hear me out. I'm not telling you you have to raise your hands or you have to whistle or you have to scream or you have to dance or even, for that matter, that you have to sing loud. But here's what I do want you to see, okay? I want you to hear this for just a second because I know this is true. There are people living in the world today that are living in a hopeless world that are coming to the church looking for hope. My question is, when they look at you in the time where you're excited about what Jesus is doing for you, do they see hope? Or do they see this? <laughs> you hear what I'm saying, right? I'm not telling you you have to be this super emotional, raise your hands, do what other people do. But you, are you excited that Jesus Christ died for you and that he saved you and that we should celebrate that? And one of the reasons that we come together on a Sunday morning is to remind you Jesus did what he didn't have to do for you. And that time of worship or singing is a time for you to be like, dude, I am so thankful whatever that means, right? So that's the reason that we would sing. That's the reason that we would come together. That's the reason that we take a moment out of the message to say, you know what, for this moment, I want you to remember what he did for you. And however you want to express that, the only challenge that I would have for you is just so you know, people are watching. And they're trying to find the hope of Jesus you know, and I, I, again, don't hear me say you have to do it a certain way. All I would say is when you have that feeling, you know, when you have that feeling, and you're like, I need to raise my hands, but you're like. <laughs> have you ever been that way? Come on, right? Like, you're like, somebody raised their hands, but if somebody sees me raising their hands, they'd be like, what happened to him? So you're kind of like, mm. <laughs> Don't be afraid, right? Like, let, let whatever it is, whatever it is, whether you raise your hands or don't raise your hands, or whether, but, but again, at the end of the day, when you feel the movement of the Holy Spirit inside of you, let it be what it is. Because the hope of the world, people are looking at you for the hope of the world. You're Jesus. You're the church. You're that for those people. Why do we baptize? Just got done with baptism. 41 people. Great thing to celebrate. But here's the question, right? You have to be baptized to be saved. Right, because this was a big question, like when people brought this up, do you have to be baptized to be saved? And so why do we make such a big deal of baptism? And why do we do the videos? Because you know it went so much faster during the church if you just brought them in and just boom, 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 boom. Right, like that would have went so much faster if you didn't have them talk, right? We could just get them in, get them out. You're a believer, yep, just keep saying the same thing. Man, we'd have been done in an hour. True? What? Yeah, hold them down to the bubble stop. Now, that would have been interesting in the church. But you see what I'm saying, right? Like, there is a way that you could do baptism, right? Because we know it's not dependent upon salvation, and so all we have to do is, based upon your profession of faith, boom. Based upon your profession of faith, boom. So why do we tell stories, right? Like, why is it important for us to tell you that you should be baptized, and why do we think it's important for you to do a video, or why do we think it's important for us to talk before you get baptized? Well, here's why. Here's what Scripture says. Acts 22, 14 through 16. Then he said, to the God of our ancestors has chosen you to do a few things. Know his will, to see the righteous one, 
and to hear the words from his mouth. So he says, these are three things. When I choose you, you're going to know his will, you're going to see him, and you're going to hear from him. So this is, I got saved, right? So now you're going to know his will, now you're going to see him, and now you're going to hear from him. So what do you do then naturally after those things happen in your life? Here's what he says. You will be my what? Witness, right? So he's telling you, you need to be a witness. You need to be a witness to all people of what you have, been, uh, what you have seen and heard, and now that you're waiting and and know what you are waiting for. Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. So he says you need to be a witness. How do we help you be a witness? Because I think people struggle with this. One of the ways we help you be a witness is to tell your story. And whether you, whether you like this or not, nobody wants to hear this, especially the people that grew up in a church. right? Because a lot of people that grew up in a church say they don't have a story. Right? Like I grew up in a church in all my life and I've always been a Christian. I've just always known and I've just always went to church and it's always been good and I don't really have a story. What do you want me to say? Well, here's what I want you to realize. In the eyes of God, you're no different than the person who didn't go to church, who grew up in an addictive, you know, situation that had alcoholism and all these terrible things that happened in your life. In the eyes of God, you are both condemned to the same place. You tell me you don't have a story? I don't care if you grew up in the church or not. Until you made a decision for Jesus, you were going to hell. Right? So to tell you you don't have a story? I mean, what do you mean you don't have a story? Like you grew up in the church and thankful that you didn't have to go through all of these things and, all, and that you could receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and look at what he's done for me and look at the things that he's doing. That's my witness and that's my story. Everybody has a story. So we want to help you tell your story. That's why we do the video. We do the video, we get the, you know, the testimonies like you guys are doing, you know, with what you're doing. It's the testimonies, you know, because people need to hear the stories because the stories are a witness. Why do we gather together? So you can gather together and hear the stories because people are learning to be a witness with their life, right? That's what we're doing. That's why we do what we do on, on Sunday morning when it comes to baptism. That's why when you guys do the testimonies, it's the same concept. You gather people together, somebody's going to give their testimony because there's a story, and for each one of us, here's what you need to know. Your witness is important into the lives of people that are in the room. How many times have you heard this? I've heard it up so many different times. Somebody got baptized, they listened to the story, and for the first time in their life, they found the hope of Jesus Christ because that story meant that they could still be saved. Your story, what you've went through, the things that you've been challenged with, all of a sudden you can relate and say, I think I can be saved. Right? That's why it's important to tell your stories. You need to be a witness. The other thing we do is why do we teach and why do we preach? Now, here's really important. And again, I know you're not going to want to hear this, but I want to make sure you tell you this. If you came here to evaluate the message on Sunday morning of whether it was good or bad, and you based good or bad on did the preacher keep you up, right, without falling asleep, and keep you somewhat engaged, or was he boring dud? Right? I want you to think about this for a second. Because again, most people will judge a preacher or teaching based upon whether it's relatable and whether he kept my attention. True? Right? So a lot of times, preachers become very addicted to becoming relatable, right, with people and being able to help them or, or be able to connect with them on a Sunday morning. Not saying that it's wrong, right? Now listen to me for a second. 
If you only preach and teach so that you can be relatable and people can understand and you can keep people awake, you understand that's not what Scripture tells us to do. Because there's tons of people who can relate with pastors who have never had a changed life in, their, in all of their years. You know what? They come and they get on fire and they're like, I could relate and it was so good and he must have been talking to me, right? But then you go out on Monday and he must not have been talking to you because you didn't do anything. Is that making sense, right? Like, you can be relatable and you can be like, you can keep people's attention because you can be a good public speaker. You know how many preachers are good public speakers? But public speaking doesn't change the lives of people, right? Obviously, you need somebody that you can relate with. Obviously, you need somebody that can keep you awake. But here's what Scripture tells us. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness. Why do we teach? Why do we do messages? Not so you can walk out of here being like, thank the Lord I didn't fall asleep and it's halfway funny and it was just like, you know, I could get what's going on. No, we preach and teach with these reasons. We want to make sure that all of scripture, because you know what, the other reason why we go through books of the Bible and not just do all topical stuff because when you go through books of the Bible, you have to preach every word of it. You can't skip around, right? So we do books of the Bible very specifically to say, there ain't no skipping what this says, and sometimes it's hard to hear, but you have to hear it because we're going through this book, right? And we obviously do some topical stuff, but again, you'll see us be going back to a book of the Bible here in a little while, but that was the reason because it's all Scripture, not the ones that you want to omit or take out. It's all Scripture, so preachers have to teach all scripture, whether you want to hear it or not, right? Because it's good for rebuking, it's good for correcting, and it's good for training. For what reason? What are we trying to be trained for? 2 Corinthians 3.18, here's what you should be trained up to be. Here's what the training should do. Here's what the rebuking should do. It says, and we all, whom with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The whole idea that you're getting corrected, rebuked, disciplined, teaching, learning, leadership, all of that, so you can be transformed into the image of Jesus. The bigger question is that whether or not the sermon was relatable, did it help you become more like Jesus? Because if it didn't, you just had another good public speaker that just kept you awake for the last 45 minutes. But if it's not doing anything, if it's not changing anything in your life, that's what we gotta be, we gotta take, yes, good public speaking with life change and put it together and we gotta say, am I more like Jesus? Because that's the journey you should be on. And did the teaching help me be more like Jesus? Now here's the last thing, the worship team's gonna come back up. Why do we take communion? Because, you know, throughout all of the history of the church, we've had a few things where um, people who have come from church have asked us over and over again. You know, one has been, why don't you do an altar call every week? You know what the other one's been? You want to guess? Why don't you take communion every week? Right? Because some people are used to going to a church where you take communion every week. And so the question, not that it's a bad question, the question just always is, why don't you take communion every single week? So here's what I want to do. First, I want to break it down and talk about why do we do communion in general? Why is communion important, and why do we do it even once a month, and why are we going to continue to do it? So here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 32. So this is going to give you the picture of 
why communion, and then I'm going to give you the picture of why we don't do it all of the time. And I think after you really understand it, you might be glad that you don't do it all the time, right? Like it says, you know, what it's going to say to you, I think is going to be very challenging, and I hope you'll take it very seriously. But here's what he starts with. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, who, who on that night he was betrayed and took bread. Now, do you remember when Jesus, right before he was crucified, he was up in an upper room, and do you know what he was getting ready to celebrate? Passover, right? Do you remember what Passover was? So you go clear back into Egypt, and they were, they were in, in trapped by the Egyptian rulers at the time, and God, through Moses, said, you need to tell them to let my people go, and if you don't, a death angel is going to come, and that death angel is going to kill every firstborn child. And you know what he told to the people of the nation of Israel? Get in a room, take lamb's blood, put it over the doorpost, and when the death angel comes, not based upon what you did, but because of the lamb's blood, the death angel is going to pass over you. Isn't that cool? And so every year they got together to celebrate Passover because it was a reminder that God spared the nation of Israel not based upon anything that they had done, but an innocent lamb was slain. But this night it was something different. This night it was a new tradition and a new thing that he was going to do. And it was the idea of what he's getting ready to talk about. The Lord Jesus on that night was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know why we do communion? Because you need to be reminded that in spite of your decisions in your life, Jesus Christ still went to the cross for you that his body was beaten beyond human recognition for you and that his blood was shed for you. And when we come together to do communion for every single person in this room, it should be a constant reminder. He didn't have to do it, but he did it. And you know why he did it? Because he saw your face before you were ever born. And he knew who you were and he said that he would die for you in the midst of your sin and in the midst of your chaos in the midst of things you're doing wrong. So it's a reminder once a month, when you do communion together, you should be humbled in the presence of God that he chose to send his son to die for you, and we should be thankful for it, right? We should be in awe of it. Now, why do we not do it all the time? Listen to what he says. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread or drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. I want you to think about this. One of the things I've never done at Life Church, and I'll continue to always do this until they get rid of me, I will never turn Life Church into a ritualistic church. Every week you just go through the motions, you just every week you do communion, you just come up and you do it. You know why? Because he says right now, if you're going to be one of those religious people that are just going to go through the motions without discerning the blood and bread, body of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you, you know what's going to happen to you? Judgment is going to fall on your life. That's pretty serious, isn't it? You want to go through the rituals? Do you want to have communion every week? Think about this. Do you want to have it because you're religious or do you want to have it because you want to be reminded? And I would say more people are like, give me more religion. 
because we just got to keep checking it off. And I'm saying, listen, if you understand what this says, you're bringing judgment on yourself because he says, you know what you should be doing before you come up and take the bread? You should examine yourself. And you know what you're looking for? Are you living a life worthy of the sacrifice that Jesus made for you? And when you examine, it's not like, oh my gosh, I'm not worthy to take communion. No, you're not. But the examination is to realize where you are so you can be somewhere else. Does that make sense? It's not to sit there and have condemnation that comes from Satan. That comes from Satan. The Lord is saying, recognize you're not where you need to be. Just do something about it. Then come up and be reminded. Because he says that there are people, and this is what he ends with. That is why many among you are weak and you're sick. You know what I mean? Because they were going through religion. That's why you're weak and that's why you're sick. And a number of you have fallen asleep. But if you were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. Here's what he says. Take an opportunity to examine yourself. Don't fall into the, the religion. No communion is important and it's a part of your, your journey together, but remember what it's for. Start with this, examine yourself and be reminded what Jesus Christ did for you. So I'm gonna pray, and when I'm done praying, there's gonna be a time for reflection, a time for you to examine, a time for you to remember, a time for you to be thankful, and then Corinne will open up the uh, communion tables, and you'll be able to take communion again, a couple tables in the front, a couple tables in the back, but take that opportunity to, to spend time with God, take an opportunity to reflect, take an opportunity to remember what he did for you and then participate in communion together. Again, not feeling condemned, but feeling uplifted because of the forgiveness of sins. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you for the opportunity to gather together as a church, being reminded that it's not just about your presence, but it's about spurring one another on. Lord, it's about celebration. It's about giving hope into a hopeless world. Lord, it's about being your hands and feet to the people who are our guests today. Heavenly Father, I pray as we come together and do communion that we'll be reminded that such a great sacrifice for someone as small as me. Lord, I'm humbled that you will forgive me. I'm humbled that you've died for me. Humbled that, that you will forgive all of my sins. But Lord, I'm thankful for them. And Lord, may I live a life worthy of that sacrifice. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.